Good morning, guys. How is everyone doing? Awesome. Um, so, full disclaimer, you might have heard some of those dates have already happened. I might have made an oof. Sorry about that. Um, some of those have already happened, so the hike has already happened, and so has the, the Planet Kids party. Um, so don't show up to those. But everything else was still good. All right, how, how's everyone doing today? Y'all doing great? We're just, we're just going to pray this rain away, right? Because... Because uh, those of you who don't know, today is the, the biggest day of the year. This is like, this is the equivalent to our Super Bowl here at Grace. Today is good stock. And yeah, oh yeah, let's give that a, give it a hand. It's kind of the highlight of our year. We're all going to gather at uh, Teresa and Roger's house, and we're just, we're going to party it down. And she's told me we're going to do it rain or shine. So if it rains, bring an umbrella. Uh, but we're going to pray it away just in case, so... So we'll make sure to just, just pray that rain all the way, and that way we can go and catch record-breaking bass out of her pond. That is, that's the goal today. Um, except Sam, I'm just going to cut his line when he casts out. He's not allowed to fish anymore. All right? So yeah, if you've never been to Goodstock, this is your personal invitation to come. Roger and Teresa's right here. Can you guys stand up? Yeah, that, they invite you to come out to their house. Uh, this is a church-wide event. We do it every single year, and it is, it is seriously so much fun. Um, and if you've been, I don't have to tell you to come, you know you're already coming, because it's a, it's a blast. Um, but yeah, so that is happening today at, Teresa, what time is that? Three o'clock, it's happening at three o'clock. Um, so be sure to be there for that. Um, and for you guys, if you don't know me, uh, my wife Jessica and I, we are the youth pastors here. My name is Jeff, um, and I get the honor of bringing the message today. Um, and so today we're going to be talking all about the Good Shepherd. Uh, so if you're just now joining us, we are in a series uh, called Storyteller, and it's all on the parables of Jesus. And we're kind of walking through the parables in chronological order, in the order that Jesus actually told them. Now today, I get, I get two parables. I get to talk about uh, one parable you're probably incredibly familiar with, which is the lost sheep. It's sort of the little brother to the bigger parable. Yeah, okay, pun. Bible pun. Anyway, uh, it's, uh, it comes in line with the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, the parable we know as the prodigal son. Uh, but we'll be talking about the lost sheep, and then we'll be talking about the good shepherd. Now, I'm really excited about the good shepherd because it's not just a parable, but it is one of the I am statements of Jesus. And, and in the book of John, uh, Jesus has seven I am statements, and they are all incredibly deep um, and incredibly fun. Actually, I did a series on them with youth just a, a year or so ago, um, and went really uh, went through those, and that was a lot of fun. So I'm excited about that. This is a parable, but it is also an I am statement. Um, so I, I think it's going to be fun to go through. Uh, but I will admit with you guys, I'm going to try to be honest. Uh, I try to do that. Jesus tells me to. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, as I was studying for this message, I, I decided the best way to get the idea, because it's, it's very focused on the shepherd, right? It's, uh, I have the lost, lost sheep where the shepherd hunts down the sheep. Then I have uh, the parable of the good shepherd, which is obviously about the shepherd. So I started looking into um, shepherding and what that entails. Um, and though in, in first century uh, Judaism, in, in the first century, uh, shepherds were not thought of, you know, that highly. Uh, but man, throughout the Bible, they have some crazy stories. Like David, if you remember uh, David, he was a little, you know, lesser known guy. He, he kind of killed a giant and some stuff. Um, but if you've ever heard of David, when he shows up to fight Goliath, they ask him, like, basically, what are your credentials? And he says, well, I shepherd my flock. And then when the, the bears came and the lions came and they carried off one of my sheep, I would hunt them down and kill them and take my sheep back. I'm like, whoa, David's, David's pretty hardcore. We read about shepherds, like, laying their lives down for their sheep. Now, I mean, I have pets. I got a couple dogs, a couple cats. But we're not on that level, right? <laughs> I mean, I got a Yorkie, a lion carries him off 
That was a snack. I, don't, I can't help you there. <laughs> I mean, I, I love him to death, but I ain't nothing I can do about that. And, and we, we have to understand, too, this is way back when. Like, David didn't take down the lion from 50 yards with a scoped weapon, okay? He ran up and hit him with a slingshot. A lion! This is, this is not a bobcat. This is not like the little sissy lions we have around here. This is a, a big, like, 800-pound lion. And David killed it to save a sheep. That was insane. I mean, okay, all right. Y'all aren't with me here. I can feel it. Because you're, you're like, this is King David, and he's King David, and he's, he's so honorable, and it's awesome. Okay, let me put it in modern terms. You're at the zoo. A guy drops a hot dog in the lion pen. He dives in to get it. That's the level we're talking here, okay? No one's thinking that dude has it going on, all right? That was David for us. This is way before he was King David. He was just a kid with a sheep. And he would chase down the sheep, or he would chase down the lion, and he would kill the lion with a slingshot. I mean, I might chase down a lion with like a 45 or something, or whatever will do it in one shot. Roger, fill me in later. Uh, but <laughs> not a great shot. I don't want to have to take too many. But, but he took him down with a slingshot. And so I'm trying to like understand a shepherd's life here and, and what a shepherd is thinking and, and what the shepherd is going through. And it's just, it's not clicking for me. I'm like, I got dogs and cats, but you know, I don't know if I'm dying for my cat. I mean, we're tight and all, but <laughs> he lived a good long life. I don't know. I just, right? And, and then it sort of, it did sort of switch for me. I, I started to think about it in other terms. What would I lay down my life for? A child. My child my London, right? And suddenly there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a switch that's flipped there when you start thinking of it not as an animal, but what if it is your child? Uh, we have a little three-year-old. You'll see her later. She's going to run around here like she owns this place. Her name's London, and she is my world. And I, as soon as I started to think about it like that, what if it was not a sheep that got carried off? What would I do? The answer, anything. I would chase down a lion with a toothpick, if it meant saving my daughter, right? And, and it, sort of, it sort of flips a little switch there. When you, when you stop thinking of it in the terms of, of livestock, but what if you thought of it in the terms of, of children? And then when we start looking at the good shepherd, we realize the sheep he's talking about are his children. They're, they're not just sheep. He's not laying down his life just for a, a flock of animals, but he's laying down his life for his children, his loved ones, for you and me. And he's willing to do anything for us. And so then the good shepherd becomes the good, good father. And then I think the, the parable suddenly starts to make sense. The life of a shepherd suddenly starts to make sense. It's that you are willing to do what it takes to save your child. And, and then I just, I think that's, it kind of comes together. Because as a parent, I think in first service I'm going to have a lot of parents here. In second service I'm going to have a lot of kids. So we're going to have to try to break this down a little more. But as a parent, our instincts are very protective. Um, actually, the very first physical contact I ever made with my daughter was in protection. Uh, so we, we, we were in the, the delivery room, and we did all the fun stuff, and, and we have a baby now, okay? And um, it, it wasn't that fun for Jessica, though. But, uh, but we have a baby. And the nurse carries off the baby, and Jessica's like, okay, go ahead. And, and so I walk over to see the baby to watch the nurse try to teach my child ninjutsu or something. And uh, she's, like, picking her up and flailing around, and, like, and she grabs her by her hands, and I remember her head drops, and so my instinct is I catch her head. The nurse then asked me to step away and let her do her job, and I was like, okay. <laughs> just, uh, 
think she's a little small for that. She's like five pounds. Just, okay, all right, you know what you're doing. But our instincts, they're to catch our child when they fall, right? Our instincts are to protect, to step in, to intervene, to do what is best for our children. And I believe that is a God-given instinct, that when we become parents, we are given that. Because prior to London's birth, I don't know that I'm chasing down a lion for any particular reason. I might run from a lion, the absolute best that I can, but I don't know that I'm pursuing a lion. But when we have children, we are just kind of given this God-given instinct to protect and to watch over and, and to be with them. And I think that's what we see in God here is that he is a loving father. And we're going to see that in this next parable we're about to read in uh, Matthew 18. So my first point is the good shepherd finds me. The good shepherd finds me. Now in Matthew 18, we're going to read about um, the good shepherd finding us and the lost sheep. And I'm actually going to take a drink of my coffee. I was told last week I have a tendency to pick up my coffee, walk around with it, and then set it back down without ever getting a drink of it. And there's some sort of betting game going on. I don't know. But uh, what can you do? (laughs) Okay, so verse 12. What do you think? This is Jesus speaking. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So that's our first parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Sometimes it gets lost in the prodigal son trilogy there. Um, but this is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, one thing I want to notice is, is what actually happened to the sheep. Uh, some translations say the sheep got lost. Um, and it's true, it did get lost. But the actual Greek word here is the word plena, and it actually means that it wandered off, or it strayed from the truth it is, is a, a definition of it, or it was deceived. Now, the main thing here is that it was a choice of the sheep right? It was the choice of the sheep to actually wander off, which I, I think when you understand it that way, it kind of breaks that idea that if you walk away from God, you can never come back, right? Because, or, or rather, if you walk away from God, like he's given up on you, he hasn't given up. He continues to pursue you even if you've walked away, even if you've wandered away, even if you've strayed from the truth, even if you've went to a far off city and indulged in wild living, like we'll say a few parables later, the Father's not given up on you, but the Father has actually pursued you, and He's still after you, and I just think that's, that is so fascinating. And you know what else I think is cool? How many of you guys have pets or a lot of kids? We'll, we'll, we'll put them all in the same boat here, a lot of them, okay. All right, so I have five pets, a daughter and a wife. <laughs> she's, she's the owner, just, I was just letting you guys on. I have that, and sometimes I have a difficulty keeping up with all the names, and, and I know a, someone, a few others in here have difficulty with names too. Uh, imagine you have 100 sheep that you're supposed to take care of, all right? I'm just going to not picture that, because in case you don't know, I'm not exactly a good old boy. I didn't grow up on a farm. I'm not the most masculine man out there, um, but I'm going to pretend for a moment that I was a farmer, and I had 100 sheep that I'm supposed to watch after. First off, I have no idea how to do that. So if we end up with 75 back, we're doing good. Um, but imagine I did for a moment. Like, how do you even notice one is missing? Like, you're out here, one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three. Yeah, that's probably all right. Right? 
See, my thought process is the shepherd notices there's one missing because he knows his sheep. Right? And if it, what if that one missing wasn't just any old sheep, but that was Charlie? Sorry if your name is Charlie. That's just the first name came up with. What if his name was Charlie? And, and, and the shepherd's like, I love Charlie. Charlie's my favorite. And I'm looking around. Where, where is Charlie? I, I love Charlie. He's kind of fluffy. He's, he's a little buffalo guy, and he's got a little bit of ground under his chin. I love Charlie. And, and now Charlie's missing, and the shepherd notices because he already knows who Charlie is. You see, I, I think that's what we have to understand is we think of God as the God of creation, right? The, the God of, of all the big stuff, and God notices changes in the world, but he's not paying attention to little old Charlie. No, that's not true. God knows each and every one of you. He knows each and every one of us. And, and I want you to know that you are Charlie. You are God's favorite. And when you, when you stray from the truth and when you, when you wander away or when you're being deceived and led in the wrong direction, God notices. God is watching and God is pursuing. And you can't get too far away for God to give up. He's never going to give up. He's going to continue to pursue and to pursue and to pursue because God loves you. You know, in this scenario, you are the sheep. We're going to go and personify Charlie. He is, he is the sheep that wandered away and God noticed. The shepherd noticed when this sheep wandered away because he loves that sheep. He loves Charlie. And God loves each and every one of us. And when we understand that, that we are not just another speck in a massive world with billions of people and we don't matter and, and we're not all that special and, and we don't do anything great, but when you realize that the creator of the universe actually looks down and he watches you and he notices you and he knows your deepest thoughts and he weeps with you and he feels the pain that you're experiencing, when you realize you have that kind of connection with the Father, it changes everything. That's who God is, though. He is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And whenever we stray and whenever we wander off and whenever we leave, he will pursue us and he will find us. Because he is the good shepherd. But even more than that, he is the good Father, which brings me to my next point. Those of us with kids, you may know this. Sometimes children need correcting. Shocking enough, all right, I have parents and audience. I can tell, I can tell you're here. Sometimes parents need correcting. And I'm gonna, I want to spend a little more time on this point because I, I want to make sure we communicate it effectively. Um, but I, I do think that the good shepherd corrects me. Let, me. let me lay out a situation for you. Imagine, this completely fictional story, probably not, I don't know. Um, but imagine, little Johnny has been to the ER three times this month for sticking things in electrical sockets. First off, little Johnny should talk to somebody, because he has a problem. Second, someone needs to talk to Margaret and tell her to get little Johnny in order, right? Because sometimes children need correcting. I, I mean, you would be an awful parent if you seen something that could harm your child and you did nothing about it. Would you not? A good parent is able and willing to correct their children. And I want to say the same thing is true for the good shepherd, that sometimes he has to correct us. You see, something interesting I found out this week, or, or during the study of, of the parable of the lost sheep, is oftentimes when a sheep in this time, it may still go on, I truly don't know, but whenever a shepherd would have a sheep that kept wandering off, he would find the sheep and he would break the sheep's legs. Yes, that's Seems cruel. Let's, he would then carry the sheep on his shoulders until the legs healed completely back up. Once the legs were healed back up, it is said that that sheep would never leave that shepherd's side again, and it would never respond to another voice other than that shepherd's. 
Now let's jump back real quick because I know we're talking about cruelty to animals and you'll probably go to jail for this now. I don't recommend it. Like if your dog ran off, please don't tell them your youth pastor said to do that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is what if you were that shepherd? And this is your, your fourth sheep this week that has wandered off. And one you found eaten by a lion. The other you fell, or you fell off a cliff and two are still unaccounted for. That temporary pain may be worth the life of that sheep. Right? If that was actually going to work and it's going to keep that sheep safe, no, it may seem unfair to the sheep, and the sheep is probably not very happy about it. I'll admit that. The sheep is probably not very happy about having its legs broken, but would you not, as a loving person, would you not do what it took to keep that sheep safe? And I think that's interesting that we are compared sometimes to the lost sheep, the sheep that chose to wander away. And I'm not going to say that God causes all the bad things in your life. He does not. I will say that again. He, will, he does not cause all the bad things that happens in your life. A lot of things are simply the product of a broken world and the product of an enemy that, enemy that is against you. But I do think that sometimes God brings things to an end because he knows where they're leading. Right? You would be an a, a awful parent if you allowed your child to play in the middle of the highway. Why? Because you know what's coming. Right? You know what's coming around the corner. Your child may just see a toy in the road, but you know what is on, it, on its way to hurt you. We're talking about the God of all creation, the God of the past, present, and future, and he knows what's coming. He knows what is coming, and maybe he knew that that relationship wasn't right for you. Or he knew that that group of friends was leading you to an, a life of addiction and a life of pain. Or maybe he knew that that family, they were leading you to, to the wrong things. Or maybe we're praying over and over again for uh, finances, and we want to you know, hit the lottery and buy Jeff a Bugatti, and uh, I'm sure that's what you're wanting to do with it. And you're wanting that promotion, and, and you're wanting all this, but maybe God secretly knows that that money would actually corrupt you, and it would break your family apart, and your marriage would lead to divorce, and, and he doesn't want to put that on you. Or maybe he has a mission for you right where you are. You know, sometimes we have to thank God for unanswered prayers, and Garth Brooks, right? <laughs> because God knows what's best. He is the God of all creation, the God of past, present, and future. He knows what is best for us. And so we have to understand that as a parent, there's sometimes where he must correct us. There's sometimes where his plans don't line up with our plans. You know, one verse that, that people really love is Jeremiah 29.11. Who's familiar? Jeremiah 29.11. Let's go there now. And it goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you. We'll come back to that. Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is a popular one. This is on all the coffee mugs. It's on all the Instagram posts. It's, uh, people, people love Jeremiah 29, 11, and I love this too. I do. It is a fantastic verse. But I wonder how much people would love that if they realized that God's plans aren't their plans. I wonder how many coffee cups it would be on if you knew for certain that God's idea for your life wasn't your idea for your life. I wonder if we realize that if the plans to prosper you and not to harm you didn't necessarily align with your life goals. You see, that's the thing, though. God's plans don't align with our plans. God's plans are far greater, Scripture tells us. And it may not look anything like what we expect our life to look like. Can I tell you that God cares more about your soul than your success? That God cares more about where you are. Like all those football players that shout to, shout to Jesus, I mean, other than Tim Tebow, he's for real, but all those other ones, he cares a whole lot more about where their faith is 
than where their touchdowns are? Going off that, do you know that God cares more about your faith than your finances? And God cares more about your salvation than your reputation. That's where God's heart is. God knows what's best for you. You may think a million dollars is going to make you happy, but he knows it'll never fulfill you. Only following Jesus will fulfill you. God cares more about your closeness to him than your comfort. And he wants you in relationship to him. And so sometimes he may make things happen in your life that don't exactly go according to your plans, but they're according to his plans. And his plans are superior. You see, faith is not trusting that God is going to do what you want him to do. Faith is trusting whatever God does in your life will be for your good. It may not be what you want, but it'll ultimately be up to a good God. Faith is not knowing the plans, but it's knowing the God. And it's knowing the God of creation. It's knowing Jesus has your best interest at heart and that he is going to do something. And it may not be taking you away from what you're wanting to escape from. It may not be getting you a better job than the one you have. Maybe he has a mission for you at that job. Even if you hate that job, maybe he wants you to reach Roberto across the desk from you with the gospel. I don't know, but I know God's plans are far superior than our plans, and they always will be. And so sometimes God has to correct his children. And sometimes this may not look like what we want it to look like, but a loving parent will always correct their children. A loving parent will never allow their children to hurt themselves. The next point is the good shepherd directs me. The good shepherd directs me. And in this one, we're going to go and jump into our second parable, which is where we hear about Jesus uh, referring to himself as both the gate and as the good shepherd. So in this one, this is going to be immediately following. It's in John 10, if you have your Bibles. If not, the Sky Bible will be there. Um, but in John 10, Jesus, uh, or in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Um, and then the Pharisees and the religious leaders come up to Jesus and question him about it. Not because he healed a blind man and he made someone's life better, um, but because he did it on the Sabbath. Jesus, what were you thinking? Um, and they approached Jesus with this claim that he healed someone on the Sabbath. He did work on the Sabbath. He should have waited till Monday or Sunday. I don't, yeah. Uh, he didn't. So they're real mad at him. And this is Jesus' response, uh, which we will we'll hopefully dive a little deeper into this one. All right, so John 10, 1 through 18. Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, I'm going to pause for just a moment. Because right here, Jesus is actually making a direct reference. One of the things that I found very interesting, so I started learning a little bit about like the Jewishness of Jesus, when you understand Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, because um, that, that's what he was. He was a Jewish rabbi, uh, but bringing forth, he was the Messiah. Um, so when you start learning uh, what he's kind of referencing to, it's, it's fascinating. And, and in this verse, he's actually going to be referencing to Ezekiel 34. Uh, which I apologize, I did, not, I did not prepare it. But in Ezekiel 34, God actually prophesies through the prophet Ezekiel, or Ezekiel prophesies by a message God gives him. And he's actually talking to the Pharisees of Israel. And he's talking to the leaders of Israel. And he's basically telling them that you have not been good shepherds, but you have ruled my people harshly. And you have, have ruled them self, selfishly. And, and you have not healed the sick. And you have not comforted the weak. And you have not been with those. And so actually the prophet Ezekiel 
goes on to say that God says he will come and shepherd his people himself. So even in this, the first verse, the first part of this parable, Jesus is telling these uh, religious leaders who would have had the book of Ezekiel most likely memorized at this point, they had immediately got the reference that Jesus in this moment is telling them, listen, you've not been doing your job. I am God and I've come to shepherd my people. I've come to shepherd my flock. So verse 2, Jesus says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate. There's another I am statement. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. That was a direct reference to the Pharisees and the religious rulers. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when the wolf comes attacking, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters it. Or, and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, Jesus says in 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. This is going to be a reference to the Gentile church. Uh, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So notice what, again, we, we see a repeating theme. Notice what the Good Shepherd does. He says he calls his sheep by name. Remember Charlie? We talked about him a few minutes ago. Charlie the sheep. The shepherd recognized when Charlie was gone. You know why? Because the shepherd knew him by name. The shepherd knows you by name. Jesus actually knows you by name. That's incredible because to the rest of the world, you're probably a number on a piece of paper. To the God of all creation, he knows you by name. Oh, and he loves you. And that's just incredible that he loves you and he calls you and he leads you. And he knows you by name. All right. So I want to talk about leading. We see that the good shepherd, he, he directs me. Now, there's an interesting thing about our God, the, the God of Christianity. Um, if you look at most other religions, you have what we would call like a boss man ideology. Um, it's, it's this God who would sit on a throne or on a turtle or you know, whatever weird thing he sits on in their religion. Um, he would, he'll sit on it and he'll order people around. And he kind of sits up in, on his throne and he just tells people what to do. And this is what we call a boss man. What I think is so interesting about Christianity is we don't have a boss, but we have a leader. You see, a boss will sit behind a desk and tell you what to do. A leader will go out in front of you and show you how to do it. You see, Jesus came to earth 
in our place and he led us and he showed us how to live a perfect, sinless life. He led us to repentance. He led us to salvation. He led us to death and resurrection. And he leads us. Because I think it's interesting, every time he shows up to someone, he says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me, follow me, follow me. You see, the, the secret to Christianity is you've got to actually follow Jesus. So I'm going to, uh, Teresa, Roger, can I get you guys to come up for a minute? I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so let's illustrate what following looks like. All right. This, this is it. We're, we're doing good. I'm going to, I'll move this out of the way so the camera can see you guys. That's the goal. So if you guys want to scoot right over there, here's what I want, I want to happen. Here's my mystery box. If y'all are wondering what that was. Last time I threw eggs at Roger. We're not going to. Nah, they're, they're all gone. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I want Roger to be the leader, and I want Teresa to follow closely behind him, okay? All right, so um, if you guys could just walk toward me, I want to illustrate something. That as Roger's leading, it's very hard. He also has very good reflexes. Can I have this back? Okay. All right, you go and take your point back over there. As Roger's leading, it's very hard for me to hit Teresa with anything, right? If Teresa's behind Roger, especially with Roger's reflexes, it's very hard for me to hit her. Because she's following so closely. I want to say that's what we need with our relationship. Can I have my list back, please? <laughs> that's what we need with our relationship with Jesus. We have to follow so closely that, that nothing can hit you, that nothing can get to you. That you're following that close, that, that you're drafting. I don't know how familiar you are with racing. I'm not very, but I know that there's something called drafting. And, and it's when you're behind the lead car, and, and you can go faster because that lead car is actually taking all of the damage. It's taking all of the wind. It's taking the blunt force that's coming your way, and, and you're just going smoothly behind it. Can I have those back? <laughs> so if you guys walk my way again, what we have here is we have Teresa drafting behind our bearded Jesus here, all right, <laughs> with the great reflexes. And because she's drafting, because she's following so close, I can't hit her with anything. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. When you stay so close that the pains and the things of this world, they can't get to you. They can't get to you. But here's what I want to do this time. I want, Roger, I just want you to walk over. Yeah. <laughs> Quit being so good. Come here. <laughs> Is... <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's the point. There we go. When we stop. Oh, you guys are good. Thank you so much. Sometimes what happens in our walk, though, is we stop following, right? Sometimes in our walk, we say no. Can I tell you your point of following Jesus ends at no? When he calls you to do something and your answer to him is no, you're no longer following. So sometimes when you're following Jesus, it feels like nothing can touch you. Then nothing. Have you ever seen someone, like probably, I would say an older Christian, and, and something just happens in their life, and it would destroy you, it would devastate you, but they just pff, blow it off like it's nothing. Like they just keep on walking, and it doesn't phase them one bit, and you're like, how do you do it? They're following Jesus. They're drafting behind Jesus. And when things come their way, we got ninjutsu Jesus, like knocking that stuff out of the way. That's what happens when we follow that closely to Jesus. I'm not going to say, this is not a prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you you're going to get rich or you're going to get a Lambo or anything like that. But I'm telling you, when you follow Jesus, things that might have destroyed you before, you're just going to brush them off like they're nothing else because you have your hope in something greater than yourself. Amen? Amen? 
The problem is sometimes Jesus, we, we stop following, and, and Jesus calls us to, to forgive or, or to repent or to, to stop doing this or that, and we say no, and, and what we have, we've paused in place. And, and as you've seen, Jesus is going to continue to try to do what he can, but if you're not following, things are going to eventually hit you, and then you're going to ask the question, God, why did that happen to me? Where were you? Like, I thought you were behind me. Where are you going? See, Jesus is our leader, but we've got to follow him. We've got to follow him, and when we're following, things that would have crippled us before, we can just shrug them off because, again, our hope is in someone greater than ourselves. So we have to follow, and the good shepherd will direct us. He will, he will lead us. He will call us by name, and we are to follow him. But sometimes our answer is no. And I'm mean, being I mean incredibly specific here. Because I truly believe that conviction is the first step to repentance. So sometimes, God is calling us to forgive someone. And God, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm not going to do that, I can't do that. Or God is calling us to um, tell the truth on something that we don't want to tell the truth on. And our answer is, no, God, I can't do that, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes God tells us to, to follow his word in our sex lives. And our answer is, God, no, I can't do that. I can't follow that. Or God tells us to, to follow his word with our, our internet browsing. God, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Whenever we say no, we have stopped following Jesus. I'm not saying your salvation's gone. I'm just saying the things that, that, that would, you would shrug off when you were following Jesus, those things are going to hit you a lot harder because you're no longer in pursuit of Jesus, right? You're no longer drafting behind him. Now, I'm going to tell you, like we said a moment ago, when you wander off and you get led astray, God has not given up on you. When you say no, it's not over. You're not out. God has not given up. He's never left you nor will he forsake you. He's waiting for you to come back. You see, that's the thing about Christianity. It is a choice. We have the choice to follow Jesus, to turn our lives around and actually pursue him. That is on us. God will never uh, go over our free will, but he's always there for us. See, the good shepherd, he leads us. He directs us. He wants us to, to follow him. So my last point is the good shepherd protects me. The good shepherd protects me. So here in a moment, the worship team is going to come back up, and they're going to sing uh, Reckless Love. And uh, personally, I, I love that song. Um, and it's just, it, in it, actually, I pulled up the lyrics while they were singing it. Recognize me? Okay, there we go. The words, the, the lyrics of that song say, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath... You breathed, your, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I want to notice that because there's been a lot of people criticize this song because of the word reckless. The song is not saying God is reckless. It's saying that his love, he is reckless because of his love, right? He acted recklessly because he took into account nothing about himself. That though Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup from me. He was reckless enough to go forth and, and take your sin and pain on a cross. That's how much God loves us. You see, the good shepherd protects us. It says right here at the, the end of that passage I just read in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm going to skip forward just a little bit. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not there. Verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. You know, it kind of changes things. When you begin to realize how Jesus died, what actually killed Jesus, he is the God of all creation. He healed blind eyes. He he raised dead people. Do you really think the Roman soldiers were strong enough to to chain him up and put him on a cross? Do you think the Jews or the people, do you think the metal was strong enough to hold him onto a cross? Or the wood that he created could contain his essence? Absolutely not. It was the reckless love of God for you and me that held him on that cross. He laid down his life. No one could take it from him. He laid it down. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna retell a story that I told almost a year ago exactly. I mean, it was one of my, one of my favorite memories of my dad. And if uh, if you remember it, that's awesome. That proves my point on the power of stories, because it was a year ago. Um, but if you don't, uh, I hope that you uh, get something from it. But uh, one of my uh, best memories of my dad, we, I was about 10 or 11, I guess, and we were out swimming at a place called the Devil's Breakfast Table. All good things happen there, and. Uh, <laughs> We were out swimming. Uh, I, I was out swimming, and Mom and Dad were kind of up on this little cliff edge. It was about 10 feet up, and, and they were just hanging out up there talking, and I was down there swimming, uh, you know, being a kid, doing my thing, not paying attention to anything around me. And all of a sudden, I hear a splash behind me, a giant splash. And I turn around, and my, it's my dad, which is odd because he's a little feller, but, but he made a big splash, and, and I see him start scrambling out of the water. Now, look, I turn, and I see him fully dressed. He still has his shoes on. He still has a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And... I see him start running out of the water, and I notice in his hand he has a snake in his hand, a snake live, trying to bite him. Like, he keeps coming back up, and he's, like, shaking it down like he has a shake weight or something. And, and he runs out of the water, and he runs to the, the edge of the woods, and, he, and he, he tosses the snake in the woods away from, you know, all the kids and stuff. And, and I remember my art teacher was actually there, and she called him the crocodile hunter from, like, every, every event after that. <laughs> I remember thinking at that time, because I was a kid. Boy, my dad's nuts. That dude is straight crazy. That crazy old man wanted to die. I ain't jumping into water after no snake. All right? <laughs> Swim fast! Like, I'm... But about three years ago, that changed. I had a daughter of my own. And I understood the love of a father. I understood for the first time what it meant to unconditionally love something something that you would lay down your life for, that I would dive in the water and I would grab a snake, I would punch a shark in the face, I would stab an alligator with my finger, like I, nothing would stop me from protecting that little girl. And it's like, it just, it just sort of clicks and that's the thing with parenting is like, you almost have to be it to understand it. That may not even be a biological parent, but if you have a child that you are the sole protector of, you know what it's like. You would do anything for them. And then I, then I read the words to this song, to reckless love. And, and I think for the first time, I understand what true reckless love is. It's that when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. 
And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Oh, that's good. That is the love of your Father in heaven. And, and I want to end there because we, the good shepherd, he says that he lays his life down for the sheep. We've already established you, me, and Charlie are the sheep. The good shepherd lays his life down for us. Regardless of how far gone you are, right? Regardless of how far you've strayed away, from when you've ran away, he's never stopped pursuing you because he knows you by name. And he is the good shepherd. And he is the good, good father. And he will do whatever it takes to save his children. And you are a child of God. Like it or not, wherever you are, regardless of how far away you try to get from him, you are a child of God. And his arms are open for you to come back to him. That he loves you and he pursues you. He left the 99 for you. He laid down his life on the cross for you. I just, I, wanna, I remember growing up and, and not really believing this, not really believing that Jesus could have died for me. So I want to really get it across, not for the person next to you, not for the person over there or the perfect person in the back, but for you specifically. Sitting in that seat today, Jesus died for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for everything you do. God, you are our good Father, that you lead us, you direct us, you protect us, and God, even when you correct us. We are so thankful for everything you do for us and you do through us. God, I just pray here today that each and every person here could understand the reckless love that you have for them, that it wasn't because of their perfection or anything they could do for you, but it was because of you loved them so I just pray that each and every person here would come to know the Good Shepherd, to understand no matter how far away they are, that they are still in your grace, God, and that you love them and you care for them, and that you are with them and you are in pursuit to follow you close, God. I pray that for each and every person here that we would leave following you closer than ever before. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.